Welcome to the Seeing Ourselves podcast. My name is Sharon Walters and I'm here today at Royal Museums Greenwich with Fiona Compton. Hi Fiona. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to see you. It's really good to have you here. So we have, um, we've pulled out a few things from the collections, haven't we, today? Mm -hmm. But maybe we should start firstly by just you saying who you are and I'll I'll go on to say who I am. Okay. (laughs) Hi everyone, I am Fiona Compton. I am a artist and historian. I run the platform New York Caribbean which currently is the number one platform for Caribbean history and culture in the world online. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> but yes, a very proud woman of Caribbean soil. And yeah, I'm just very happy to be here for us to kind of discuss uh, these pieces that we've been doing for the Seeing Ourselves project. Um, these kind of pieces that you don't think the National Maritime Museum has. Yeah. And then kind of finding ourselves. So I'm very excited. For yeah. this. It's been really great working on this, I think. It has. Just like coming into the library. Um, having these opportunities to have these discussions, I think is really important. But as I said, my name's Sharon Walters and I'm an artist. I've been looking after a project. Well, I started a project about five years ago Mm. called Seeing Ourselves. And it was in response to a book that I was reading uh, years before, which was by Francis Borzello and it was Seeing Ourselves. And I looked through it and it was portraiture, self-portraiture. And I looked through the book and I just couldn't see myself represented back very frequently. So there were a couple of black artists, but not many. So when I started making this body of work where I celebrate blackness, in particular, I celebrate women through my work, I thought it was the perfect title for a new body of work where I could see myself and other people who look like me could see themselves too. So it's part of a wider project that expands through collage, through workshops, through talks, and of course, through this podcast. So I'm really pleased that it's that we're we're doing this and that we're here today. You know, the thing we're saying about seeing ourselves is funny that both of us started our practice out of luck. Yeah. Because that's the same reason why I started New York Caribbean, the same reason why I started my my photography work and all of that was because of lack of the ability to see myself in things. I was like, okay, if I cannot see myself, if I cannot find myself out there, I am going to create that space myself. And you have done the same thing. And it's empowering, isn't it? I think every Mm -hmm. time I do something towards this project, it helps me on a personal level. Mm -hmm. It helps me to live the life that I really want to live. So if that means stepping into rooms or if that means stepping into institutional spaces where I don't see myself reflected back, maybe in the staff or the artwork on the walls, Mm -hmm. I feel as though it gives me, it takes me one step further towards who I want to be and what I want to see out in the world. So that's why I invite people in. Absolutely. um, To work alongside and invite people like you. Should we start? Let's go. Let's go. So we are now opening up the first folder of work. Right. Right. And the title says Slaves in Barbados. And you have Bajan heritage, right? I am. So my mum is Barbadian. I'm going back there this year. Very excited. Don't rub it in. <laughs> I'm re- it's been a long time since I've been to the Caribbean. Give me that one thing. Okay. But this piece, um, I feel really emotional when I look at this piece because it says slaves in Barbados. Yes. Um, I try... It's the closest I've seen, I think, to seeing myself and seeing who, seeing my ancestors through a piece of work. So this image 
Do you want to describe it? Well, it's very small. It's yeah. about the size of a postcard. And it is, um, it's like a, a pencil drawing. Um, but it is enslaved people on a plantation in Barbados, but it's very mixed. A lot of things are happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. We see on the, on one corner, enslaved people who are hoeing the, the land and, and either harvesting or prepping the sugar cane. And you can see an overseer in the corner with a whip underneath his arm. So that in itself is, of course, um, instantly triggering. And then yeah. right next to this group of enslaved people working, you see a mother and child. And the child is right next to the enslaved people working. And the mother is, is walking. And then you can see another mother, I believe, or somebody, is it, I cannot know. It's someone who is tending to something on the ground. Yeah, I can't tell if they're making something. Yes, or... it's either they're making something or but they're tending to some, something on the ground. And then when you go further, you can see um, another woman on her knees and a group of NSA people dancing and playing the drums and the shak shak. And then you can also see what looks like either banana or um, planting tree, which is something that was very important in creating sustenance on the plantations. Yeah. So it was very important. That's that's also another something because we love planting, right? Yeah. That is that is a necessity, and it was it was a very coveted thing to have on the plantation, and there was always fights over um, planting um, planting um, rations. Mm -hmm. And then in the back, we can see the interior of a house, and you can see a woman and a man or a young boy. And it's the, there's a fire and there's lots of little, there's pots, something hanging on a wall. And it just looks like a, a very just normal house. And in the back, you can see the windmill and what looks in the background, you can see actually three windmills. So that is also telling of just the expanse of how many plantations were in Barbados because Barbados is one of the, the most brutal um, societies um, in the Western Hemisphere. Um, and we can talk about it a little bit, but then you could see the plantation house in the back, the big, mm. pretty plantation house in the back, where you could see the windmill, you can see the boiling house. So it's basically all the things of, of life uh, for enslaved people on the plantation in the Caribbean. What I'm struck by is this kind of conversation in this image between the joy, mm -hmm or the representation of joy or the propaganda of joy and the music and the dancing in contrast to the work. But everything looks very neat and tidy and clean and organized. And you know, there are clouds in the sky, you know, there's a palm tree in the background. It gives this real set, this sense of things being okay. Everything's, um, everything's fine, but mm -hmm. we know obviously that this wasn't the case. So it really strikes me as being a, a real piece of propaganda as are so many other images from this period. And the date it was made was in 1818. Mm. What, I, what I also am thinking about, I don't know if it's because I've been reading Rest is Resistance by Tricia Hersey, mm -hmm. you know, from the Nap Ministry. Mm -hmm. um, is this lack of rest and yes. the story of always doing, of always toiling, of always working hard and not necessarily working hard for yourself, but working hard for someone else, for the, 
for the wealth of someone outside of you and Absolutely. outside of your culture. Absolutely. Um, yes, it is very neat. I think it's just looking at it was neat. It was organized because this was a business. This was mm -hmm. a society in Barbados was the first functioning slave society in the Western Hemisphere. Barbados was the first to ever do it. Barbados is actually really important when we're speaking about the narrative of enslavement. And then looking at that, Barbados had a very high turnover of enslaved Africans coming in because the death toll was so high. The average lifespan was between three and nine years. So Barbados had a constant influx or um, importation yeah. of enslaved people coming in. So, and of course, this is devoid of any of, of the death and suffering that was happening. It does look very pretty little houses and everything's neat and tidy. And even looking at the enslaved people who are dancing, some of them are quite well-dressed. Yeah, they were They wear hats, petticoats, tailored jackets, you know. It's playing them, instruments Playing as well, instruments, then. which is something that was very heavily banned in Barbados. It's mm -hmm. part of the Barbados Slave Code from, I think, 1666, um, where it is, was the, the drum was illegal. Any musical instruments would be burned, you know, and they would be heavily punished for playing any form of African um, instrumentation. So it is very much filled with propaganda yeah. here. And you can just see all of the different elements of colonialism because this looks like a breadfruit tree in the back, a coconut tree. All of these things were taken across um, from places like Polynesia to the Caribbean to furnish um, plantations, you know? So this is like a full story of, well, not a full, but a very filled but incomplete story of colonialism. It has a lot of it, it's just missing the suffering, which mm. is of course intentional because they yeah. want to show that they're good, it's cool, it's fine. They want to validate um, this society that it's pretty and cute and they're just working the sugar and dancing. Mm. I think for, on a personal level, I, I don't know if it's necessarily through this whole series of work that I've been doing with National Maritime Museum over the last three years or whether it's, I think it's a combination of a few things. I've um, applied to do my, to have my ancestry. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> okay. So I think it, it's going to be surprising. Yeah, it's going to be surprising because I think there are so many missing gaps to our stories. And I'm not saying that this will completely fulfill that gap, but I, I do want to find out more about my my story and my background. That's the thing. It's um, I've I've done my ancestry, mm -hmm. and it does help to fill a few gaps because, unfortunately, for Caribbean people, our records were destroyed, or it was just la lazy record keeping. So yeah. if an enslaved person came, they'd just say African. They wouldn't say which part of Africa they came from. They wouldn't give them last names. They change their names. So there's a lot of gaps. So we have to. In order to get something that's very concise, you do have to do end up doing your DNA because mm. there's, there's only so far you can go back. Because yeah. record keeping only started in 1807 when the slave trade stopped. So the reason why they decided to keep records in the Caribbean is for them to keep tabs on plantations that they were not illegally importing anybody. So even the records that, that exist that have the names of enslaved people, it's not out of, oh, we want to preserve these people's legacies it was just in order for them to maintain the business and in accordance to british law it was mm. just to make sure they were not bringing in people illegally not because they cared about the lives of yeah. enslaved people so anything else you wanted to say about this space it's just a lot i think i think it's just so many things where they overlook how problematic it is aside from like there's there's no care for this child to witness this suffering because it's the proximity of the child to the enslaved people yeah. on the field 
like, and it was just like the mother's just walking like it's just a regular day. And the time it took to put these things in and just as if they want to create a human story, but it's actually devoid of any empathy of the reality yeah. of what was happening. It's like a contradiction, isn't it? Because it's in their, in their, just in them striving to create this human story, mm-hmm. it actually shows how inhumane the treatment was. Exactly. So we just took a, a really minor break, didn't we, just now, Fiona? And there's something that you said that I really think we should share. You said to me that, because fun fact, folks, we are re-recording um, this episode because of some technical issues. And you relate to me, Sharon, that we said different things from the first time. Yeah, we did. And I said, sometimes I feel like I'm not speaking. It's like they are speaking through me. Mm-hmm. And I feel that way all the time because mm-hmm. um, I do a lot of presentations and things just, I don't prepare speeches. I may prepare visuals, but I just move with the spirit. And I feel a lot of the things that come out of me are not from me, but are from them. Mm. And because it's not, I, th- I think some it, it doesn't feel foreign, but I just know that it doesn't come from me. I just know. I think that's really beautiful. And I think that thing of not preparing speeches and just trusting that your ancestors are holding you and they're with you and they're speaking through you. I think when you get to a point where you're not no longer looking for validation from certain groups in society and you believe fully in yourself and believe fully in the spirits that guide you, life begins to change. Absolutely. I'm, I'm here for them and I know that they are, they are there behind me. So mm. I do feel a certain, like I just know that they're there. Yeah. That's it. I just know that they're there. Yeah. I feel that too. I, fe- I think uh, the person I tend to focus on through my work is my grandmother. Mm. So my nan who on my mum's side, so she's of Barbadian heritage. And I have a picture with her in my studio, of her in my studio. And I think about what she would be thinking about the things that I'm doing now and how much she encouraged me. And you say to me, you know, it, I don't know, she used to say, say some really <laughs> funny things, probably not things I'll share on here, but um, she would also say things like, you know, what's for you won't pass you by, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that because sometimes it takes a while, but having those ancestors and having those spirits and having those voices to guide you. And it's something we don't really talk about because in Western society, it's seen as a bit, I don't yeah. know, it's yeah. kind of frowned upon, isn't it? Yes, having that, that kind of gentle faith. Yeah. You know, yes, it is, you must always, but I mean, even with speaking about like from the NAP ministry that you must always hustle and push and this and that, there's never reliance on having that gentle faith that mm. as you said, what is meant for you will pass you by. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, honoring the people that brought you here in yeah. the first place as well. I know that there are five women standing behind me. There was one day that I, I had these blackout curtains and I said, I, I want to paint something on them and Mm -hmm. I painted these five women and I knew that these five women are my spirits protectors Mm -hmm. I just know that they're there yeah and that that has always stuck with me they they came to me during the pandemic and I think I don't know who they are but I just know that 
that I come from them. Thanks for sharing that. So we're on to our second piece that we're looking at. And it says Trelawney Town, um, the chief residence of the Maroons. Now, the story of resistance isn't something that's widely spoken about mm -hmm. um, for obvious reasons. Talk to me about this piece, Fiona, because you selected this one and yes. talk to me a little bit about why you selected it, because it is a really interesting image. Yes. So a lot of Jamaicans know about the Maroons. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people will say, yes, we come from the Maroons and this and that and <laughs> talk about nanny and everything. Yeah. Because I think there's, there's a lot of pride centered around the Maroon story. And that especially because if we look at uh, the story, the narrative of slavery through a Hollywood lens, there's never any stories of resistance. And even when you go to school, I went to school in the Caribbean, spoke very little about these things. And then finding out that this community, which still exists today, which started just under 500 years ago, was basically this very strong community of, I don't call them runaways, right? Self-liberated Africans. That's, That's a beautiful way of describing the Maroons. And it's not a description, sorry to interrupt, mm -hmm. but it's not a description that's widely used, is it, in mm -hmm. textbooks and... Yes, it's just runaways. Yeah. It's just, just runaways. Which is so throwaway. Yes. Runaways throwaway, yes. isn't it? Yes, yes. They're just going, they're just runaways. But self-liberated Africans mm -hmm. really puts the autonomy into their own lives. And, um, and it is an, an, an empowering term. And, but yes, so basically Trelawney Town um, is one of several Maroon com communities that came into existence. But long story short is that when Jamaica was colonized by the Spaniards, Britain came in and invaded and the Spaniards and the British were fighting. And the first group of self-liberated Africans went into the, uh, like the Blue Mountain area, or into the mountainous region of Jamaica and created their own community. So they preserved the African heritage. This is where Juk comes from because they started to jam with the indigenous people there and they combined the indigenous and African um, ways, methods of cooking. And this is how we have Juk. So when you're eating mm -hmm. Juk, you're eating anti-colonial resistance. So this is showing, when we're looking at this image here, we can see a very manicured, community. The grass is cut. The houses are beautifully built. They have, there's a, probably about 20, 25 houses. Mm -hmm. There are cattle or sheep or so animals being tended to and farmed. And it looks like a very well put together community. Yeah. They have roads cut. So it's, it's showing just um, how it wasn't just a bunch of runaways living in the bush, right? This was actually a whole entire organized, well-coordinated, a structured community. They have verandas um, in the front of the house. So it's, it's something that's very, very well thought out. But what else do you see, Sharon? But I also see people um, who are, it looks as though they're hunting. Right. Or they are. It looks like they might be guarding, guarding their territory. Exactly. Yeah. So they are guarding their territory because if we look behind these shadowy rocks, mm. we see some British soldiers yeah. coming in to attack because the Maroons and the British were in constant battles because the Maroons used to be busting their ass. Excuse me, <laughs> pardon my French. They were... <laughs> so they, they, they were 
you know, masters of of the forest. Mm -hmm. They had created these very complicated um, guerrilla tactics um, in terms of camouflage and ambush. They understood the territory and they gave the British a really hard time. And the British were constantly trying to invade and burn down and destroy the communities and re-enslave these people. So when we're looking at the types of resistance against um, slavery, the Maroons are the most perfect example of how you know, we created entire communities outside and the Maroon community still exists today in Akampong in Jamaica, right? And they are still under constant threat by the current Jamaican government uh, because they found if their communities has a lot of minerals and they want mm. to mine their community now in 2023. So they have been fighting now to, to create, so they are a nation within a nation and they have been fighting for 400 years to, to stay that way. So this, uh, illustration is a mixed bag for me. I see beauty and sadness because I know the impending doom that's coming from behind these rocks mm -hmm. with the British. And you can see the, the different Maroons having their muskets. Here is one he's preparing. Yeah, He's putting the gunpowder down his musket there in the corner. But you can see they're all, most of them are behind the rocks because they're ready to ambush mm. the British as well. Do you know, I like, I like the contrast between this piece and the piece we just talked about. Yes. Um, so this print shows that, it, yes, it was organised, that there was resistance. And it, as I said earlier, it's a story that's so often not told. I like the fact that they are actually outnumbering. Yeah, they're, they're, they're outnumbering them. Yes. And they look like they're ready. Yes. And they're willing to fight. Yes. And so often if we don't see that story and we don't hear that story told about how we you know, how we did stand up and fight, how we did resist, it can almost make weaken us and make us feel as though, you know, we're from a, a people that just lay down and let people walk all over us. Absolutely. They want us to believe that we were yes, massa, no massa mm. the whole time. And especially when I try to find stories about different revolts that happened, it's always, oh, a revolt happened in 17 whatever, and it was, it was, uh, squashed by French forces or whatever. And then when you go into the details of the level of pressure that Europeans were put under by acts of resistance, acts of resistance were happening every single day across mm. the entire, all the colonies. So this is why they had to resort to so much violence because resistance was happening all the time. And you can see them actually coming in the back yeah. There's more soldiers coming back. I didn't see that no, the, first I didn't see time. the first time. Either. But I I love just how beautifully constructed the mm. houses are. You're going all the way back. I'm seeing some chickens. I'm seeing some sheep. I'm seeing some goats. You know, I'm seeing farmland. I'm seeing like a very well constructed community because a lot of time they just call them bush negroes. You know, or compare or compare them to savages. Yeah. Right. Which is always a term that they, they tended to use. And I am seeing actually a beautifully well-curated um, community that's put together. And the, peaceful as well. It very peaceful. It feels very, very calm and very peaceful. Very, very peaceful. So it is a, a mixed, mixed feeling about, when was this one um, done? This was circa 1800. 1800, this one, yeah. interesting. This was actually af after many of the Maroon ones, but a difficult part of the Maroon story is that they um, 
there are two different kinds of maroons in Jamaica. There's a leeward and a windward maroon, so different mm -hmm. sides of the island. And one group decided to create a peace treaty yeah. with Britain, and they would basically assist Britain in catching and save people who liberated themselves. Um, because, and then they also, so in exchange for Britain leaving them alone, they had to help keep peace on the island. So any, any other revolts or rebellions that were happening, the Maroons had to come in and intercept to stop it. Mm. So it was difficult because there's even photographs of when um, Paul Bogle, which is a, one of Jamaica's greatest heroes, and he's also on the $500 bill, the Maroons intercepted and, and captured Paul Bogle and delivered, them, delivered him to the British. Yeah. Sam Sharp as well, the biggest rebellion happened in Jamaica. The Maroons intercepted as well to stop other enslaved people from revolting. So it's a very complicated story, but it was looking at how they were looking for their own preservation. That's what they had to do. Mm. And it was, it's taken me many years for me to come to terms with that history that, cause we just want to know like, okay, yeah, like we stood up, but like, yeah. what do you mean that you were, you were Complicit, catching, yeah. you were catching other and say people who liberated themselves just like you and they were returning them back in exchange mm. for money or to, to stop the harassment from the British. But it's also looking at how the British cornered them into having to do that. So it's a very, very mixed bag of emotions. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Let's hit okay. the hard ones. First. All right. Let's so go. this one's particularly hard and that doesn't even come close to um, describing how you feel when you look at this. So it's an interior view of a Jamaica house of correction. Are you able to read the really fine print? It says, the whipping of females, you are informed by me officially, was in practice. I called upon you to make enactments to put an end to conduct so repugnant to humanity and so contrary to law so far from passing an act to prevent the recurrence of such cruelty. You have no way express your disapprobation yeah. of it. I communicated to you with my opinion and that of the Secretary of State of injustice of cutting off hair of females mm. in the House of Correction previous to trial. You have paid no attention to the something is cut off. So this, because I've seen this image many times, but I had not read the inscription on the bottom, which makes it even worse. Yeah. So we hadn't read, we didn't see this the first time. So we saw this piece, but we didn't, didn't, read, the we didn't read the inscription. So this is the piece that I, of all the pieces, I think this is the one that I was dreading having a conversation about. Um, so there is what's called a treadmill mm -hmm. and there are a number of people along the treadmill, probably about 10 enslaved Africans on the treadmill. And it turns and it's like a stepping um, device. Their hands are held up by a rod that's across the top. So their hands are elevated above their heads. Their hands are tied to the tied, rod. Yeah, sorry, tied to the rod, but elevated above their heads and tied. And there is someone whipping them and there are people alongside um, enslaved Africans again who are obviously distraught and unwell and um, look, looking as though they're close to dying. And, I'm and that would be as a result of being on that treadmill 
and having to keep it going. I remember you said something before about what would happen if they didn't keep that treadmill going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the treadmill just has to keep spinning. And if you can see this one woman on here, um, the third before the last, this one. Yeah. And she's she stopped stepping. Mm-hmm. And obviously the treadmill keep turning and the wood would hit against your ankles and shins and it would it would bleed. So it would, cause it was, it'll be constantly hitting your feet. So if you stop, you're gonna get hit by the wood. And there was a description by James William who was um, an enslaved man in Jamaica and he was speaking about the apprenticeship period. And he described what it was like on a treadmill that it would be pouring with sweat and blood. And the apprenticeship period, people think, oh, when slavery ended, they had this apprenticeship period, it was like lighter forms of enslavement and you had to do less work and whatever. But it was supposed to be a period of quote unquote reintegration, yeah, right? Which was basically just Britain trying to prolong um, the enslavement so the enslaved people would be paid a very, very meager salary um, for four to six years. But within that time, uh, a lot of um, punishments increased and the treadmill became more and more frequently used. As we can see here, yes, the dehumanization of women in particular by the cutting of their hair, mm. which is something I've read about before. That is intentional. That has to make the women feel less beautiful, less feminine, less everything is to diminish them. So it is that kind of diminishing your spirit by doing this thing. So there's lots of different ways to you know, break someone's soul. Mm. It wasn't just whipping. So they do things like the treadmill, like cutting your hair off, like making and save women to the treadmill naked, you know? And if you would lag on the treadmill, you would have an overseer there who would also whip you. And I think this image, um, of course, is speaking about is is very opposite to the the Bajan print that we saw, which is showing things all nice, mm. and to show the reality. So we can see there are still people in the back having to carry on work like normal, even though there's so much pain and suffering happening. An enslaved man is being whipped on one side the by two, another in by, by another, another enslaved, enslaved man. man. And when you look at this, the two white men in the mm-hmm. in the image. They're just looking on, you know, they're pristine, they're looking on, they're not actually doing any of the no. any of the whipping, they're kind of instructing everyone else to do that to each other. Yes, because most of the time it would be, the, uh, the overseers would be other enslaved people mm. because they didn't want to do that work themselves. Yeah. And as you said, you can see there are uh, some women who are on the ground um, who look very near death. There's someone in the corner here who looks like they're crying. Um, so it really does show a lot of the a lot of the suffering, but it was actually, you'd find that enslaved people would be punished more during the apprenticeship because during slavery, if say, if say I bought um, you, Sharon, for 65 pounds, which is a lot of money, why would I want to necessarily work you to death, right? Especially, especially when the trade has stopped, right, yeah. in 1807. So therefore, I need you to live as long as possible for you to work for me as long as I can. But during apprenticeship, I don't own you anymore. So therefore, I need to work the hell out of you for the next four years. And if you're not providing my quota of sugar, by this time, the price of sugar is dropping. So um, plantation owners aren't making as much money, so they're desperate. 
And this is when a lot of the violence actually increased during the apprenticeship period. So this, the whole concept of when slavery ended, everything was all jolly and say people could just do what they wanted. That's actually is quite the opposite. For example, it was much harder on plantations for women because during the period of slavery, if an, if an enslaved woman was um, pregnant or in the very early stages of breastfeeding and so on, they would have nurseries. Older enslaved people or differently able enslaved people would look after the young children or to help the mothers who are about to give birth and so on. During the apprenticeship period, all of the nurseries closed and all of the elderly and differently able people had to go back onto the, onto the fields. Mothers with newborn babies had to go back onto the fields. There was no pregnant mothers had to go back onto the fields because they wanted to work as you as much as they could for the last four years. So this image really does show especially how enslaved women um, suffered mm. um, during the 1830s into the 1840s. It's, it's a very, very important period where in which it's difficult for us to look at this, but it's absolutely necessary because I think also the story of women, black women on plantations, black mothers on plantations, and this image shows there's so many with the inscription about the hair. You know, mm. hair is so important. It really is. And when you look more closely, you can actually notice that all of the women have um, their hair cut really, really short. Yep. I think we've talked before about um, how it feels to see yourself represented back in this kind of way. And we've talked about how we care for ourselves um, when you're doing this work. Because obviously, Fiona, you do this work a lot. Being a historian, hosting the Know Your Caribbean page, how do you care for yourself? Has there been <laughs> that funny question? How do you care for yourself? Before I answer that, I just noticed that they're cutting this woman's hair right here. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. And it's really at the set. It's at the it's, front it's and the center front. of it's the at image. The front. Um, and it is interesting when you come back to a piece that you see things that you that hadn't you seen before that you yeah. completely missed because we spent time with this. Yes, we did. Yes, previously. We did. I've seen this image so many times and I'm seeing so many things I've missed and before. And also her, her expression. Yes. Like it's, the look in her eyes and the body language and the way... It's defeat. Yeah, it's defeat. Absolutely defeated. Broken. And I mean, for them to get that, that detail in, in this print, but to answer your question, self-care, I would love to say I have it down pack. I don't. I think I remember the first time we did this one, the first time we did our seeing ourselves. And like I came home and I was just crying, crying, crying. And like my partner came and brought me ice cream and I just ate all. <laughs> so it's like I can't say that I do yeah. lovely meditations and I make sure I get lots of rest. It's I still haven't perfected it because sometimes when you're, you're doing research, and you may be looking for something joyful and beautiful. In the research, you may just come across something randomly traumatic. Mm -hmm. So for example, if I was looking for, maybe I, I want to find images of enslaved people dancing and participating in something joyous, and I came across that first Bajan one. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, if I looked at that little thing as a vignette, great. But then if I look at it as the full picture, then it, of course is triggering material. So mm. I don't, I don't know, but what I've started to do is know when to stop researching. 
So I could read one sentence and it could spoil my whole week and not put too much pressure on myself to persevere through it if I know it is making me be a less present mother mm. or a present partner or less present friend or less present friend to myself. Yeah. And I make myself stop. Because that's the bit that we often forget is about being a friend to yourself. Mm -hmm. It's so easy as women to think about being someone's partner, someone's mother. So, but the relationship with, you have with yourself is, I would say, the most important one. Exactly. And you know I practice that a lot. Well, <laughs> you want to give some tips? <laughs> I, do, I do meditate sometimes, um, but usually it's to rest and to... And I'm trying to get my head around the idea of not resting, and I've learned this from the NAP ministry actually, is not just resting in order to work more. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Not, so the rest doesn't need to be in order to give yourself energy to do more work. Mm -hmm. You are allowed to just rest. Okay. And that is what I'm working towards. I haven't got that down at all. I'm writing this down in my head. Okay. Because seriously, it's a game changer in terms of your thinking. And quite often at the studio, you know, I have an art studio. I'm really pleased to have that now. But I have an art studio and I have a sofa bed in there. And I sometimes when I'm working really, really hard, I take a rest so that I have more energy so that I can do more work mm -hmm. and maybe work later. But what I'm trying to think now is maybe just rest. And when I have that rest and I do a sleep meditation and drift off, even if it's just for half an hour, 15 minutes, half an hour, then that's it. I can call that day over and just trying to leave things as it is, as yes. it is, rather yep. than thinking, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. I don't always get that right. So yesterday, I know for a fact I didn't get that right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this idea of rest. And I think especially with the imagery that we're looking at and the discussions that we're having, we don't see much rest in our history. just about to say that. There's no nothing. example. Nothing. There's nothing. No. There's no example of leisure. You know, when you look back at old photographs of European women, mm -hmm. there are lots of images holding beautiful parasols. And I know we have seen one of those images of a black woman in, you know, here at the at the museum, but there aren't many images mm -hmm. of us, no. you know, beautifully dressed. Oh, there is resting. one. Which one? The one, a beautifully dressed yeah, one yeah. resting. No, but that's the one. Oh, the disappointment. That, yeah. So yeah. the disappointment. Imagine. So the one image that we found of a woman resting. A well-dressed black woman. Was of, um, was a piece called The Disappointment, which we, we came across in the first series and I would really suggest you have a look back at that piece. Um, although it is really, really triggering and really, really difficult to look at. But there was a black woman at rest and she had, I think she had something like a veil over her face and the veil was being lifted by yes. a white man who was very well-dressed. So they were both well-dressed. And do you want to continue, Fiona? Well, you see, she was, she was dressed in a very beautiful, long kind of Victorian dress very layered with ruffles and she had like dainty shoes on with stockings and gloves. Mm. So because her head was veiled, you couldn't tell what race she was. And I don't know, we couldn't tell if he was at a brothel or something because there was a, a European woman in the background kind of giggling like it was a prank of some sort. Mm. And the man lifted up her veil to reveal that she was in fact black 
and then the, the title of the piece is called A Disappointment. So that so far has been the only image that we've found of a black woman in rest. Yeah. And it was one, actually one of the most triggering pieces. Yeah, and I've just managed to pull that image up so we can look at it um, again. And we will share it in, this, in the show notes. Um, yeah, so this idea of rest. <laughs> it's like a joke. Yeah, it's a joke. And it's being ridiculed, yes, isn't it? Yes, yes, she is being yeah, absolutely ridiculed. Yeah, she is ridiculed. being ridiculed. That idea of being beautiful and at rest. And I strive to be beautiful and at rest. Yes, Rather yes. than just working, rather than just toiling. <sighs> we move. <laughs> we move onto this piece. So this is another print. So it's celebration of the 1st of August, 1st of August, 1832. 1838. 1838, I really need to get these glasses updated. <laughs> I keep putting them off. Um, at Dawkins um, Caymans, near Spanish Town, Jamaica. And we can see a huge feast. Mm -hmm. um, everyone on the top table is white, well-dressed. A woman, there are, there's one woman looking directly at the camera, at the, sorry, at the viewer, <laughs> viewer. even thinking about photographs a lot at the moment, I'm um, looking at the viewer. And then there's a huge table that goes back for what Into looks, infinity. Into infinity of black women on one side and black men on the other side, all with their head, the women with their head, heads wrapped, all beautifully dressed. Um, what appears to be a real banquet with, you know, lots, there's chicken on every single lots and lots of chickens on plates and people being people are all being served i find images like this really exhausting mm -hmm. because of the fact that they are trying to depict this story of of almost equality that people were being treated well that they were sitting at the they had a seat at the table literally <laughs> literally had a seat at the table and they weren't too far removed they could eat with you know, the overseer and their family, they could, they could dress well. And it's another really disturbing image of propaganda. Well, the 1st of August is Emancipation Day. Mm -hmm. So this is supposed to be the, the, the celebration of the end of, of enslavement. You know, so they're hosting this big banquet for the many, many, many enslaved people that they own, so a very, very affluent family. And I'm not too sure what the, because they have these banners with yeah. different names. It's Victoria, Lionel Smith, Mulgrave, Brougham. I bet they're the names of the different enslavers, don't you yeah, think? So they're Mulgrave, divided up as yeah. well. Yeah, so Mulgrave is a, is a name that I do know. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to remember if Queen Victoria was in, um, if she was in, uh, if she was the reigning queen of that time. I, I believe she may have been. But another little small like nod to their wealth is a pineapple mm. on the corner. Because at those times, a pineapple was like a signifier of wealth. Well, especially if you were in Europe and you had a pineapple and yeah. you had enough money. But just that little nod to, to affluence in the corner with the pineapple, which is also supposed to mean signify like hospitality mm. as well. But I... Um, it, it, there's there's no integration in this 
image. I think the the European family in the front is very well detailed and you can see their faces and their expressions and the enslaved people just kind of are just again monolithic. Yeah. They all look the same. Yeah. They're all dressed the same and they just the the details of their faces just fade away into the nothingness and they just go on into infinity forever. And I think it's more a show of look at how wonderful us Europeans are being to these uh Negroes we've just liberated and given them lots of fancy dinner and a drink. Mm. Just thinking about that idea of the, a seat at the table as well and, and it being a kind of a term that's been banded about over the, especially over the last few years unless I've just become more aware of it over the last few years. Mm. A seat at the table doesn't necessarily, as we know, doesn't really mean that much. It doesn't necessarily mean you will instigate change. It doesn't mean that you will have power. It doesn't mean that you can change the direction of things all the time. Um, what do you think about that as an idea? I mean, you, you hear people saying that now to have a seat at the table, and now people are saying you have your own, you create your own table. Mm. Um, I think, well, for one, in, they're not seated at the same table. No, they're not. You know, they're, they're, they're next to them. But in their eyes, I think they, they would argue that... Yes, we were seated they, together. Yeah, we were seated together. Yes. You're not, yes. actually, because your, seat, your table is separate. Yes, I think this is actually a great representation of the current day discussions about having a seat at the table. Yeah. Because you could say this is just a big, long table where everyone's invite, invited, yeah. everyone has a seat. But still, you can see the certain type of people take precedence in the front. Yeah. And who decides when it's time to have a seat at that table? Yes. I would say those that yes. small in the, group of people in at the, the front, front yeah. which is still very much the same today. Mm, it is. It should be called a seat at the table, this one. Yeah, with a question mark. <laughs> okay, what's next? The potluck. Oh. <laughs> Another ODS one, okay. Another one. So we can see a, what appears to be a drawing and there's a man in a barrel who looks very angry, a white man with his hands outstretched. And he says, think of the poor suffering African called a slave. Can you read it? Cause I think of the poor African called a slave, unpossessed of any rights and privileges that you enjoy. While you sit under the vine of your reform bill and the fig tree of your magna chart. He knows nothing of such blessings. So the argument in this piece is that, so that person standing in this barrel, shouting out about the injustice of being white and working class in the, in what I'm assuming is in Britain, mm -hmm. compared to the life that's being lived by enslaved Africans. Um, and the argument is that on the side of the white working class person, they are in slavery and the word slavery is written below. And on the right-hand side with the enslaved African people, there's a, a, some text that says freedom. Yes. <sighs> well, what's interesting is you, you can see the white working class family. So there's a mother with mm -hmm. a toddler yeah. that's grasping onto her and the father who has his head down on a table looking very distraught. Yeah. And you can see the, the text says, the mother says, what must an industrious and honest man starve yeah. in a country like this? And then he says, yes, unless I draw a cart, harness like a beast and get 
fed by, by the, the parish. parish. So basically getting in food by the church, yeah. fed by the church. And the family here, the, the African family and the Caribbean family, you can see the, um, well, the mother looks fuller mm -hmm. as well. They're happy, they're happier. smiling. Yeah. They're playing with the, their um, toddler as well. And, it's, and the father says, ah, pekanini, you eat yam yam, your belly full, in beauty lila. So he's saying like, ah, little child, mm. you've eaten until your belly is full and saying, um, the child is beautiful lila. And then, he's, and then she says, um, F Sambo, he very like you. Now I wanted to double check something very quickly because um, Sambo, is um sambo is is someone of mixed heritage okay um but it's not not straight down um there are a couple of definitions though aren't there yes it is um it's uh, it's so it says it's a derogatory label yeah. for a person of african descent in the english language historically it's a name of american english but it's more speaking about i believe it's someone who is of one parent is black and one parent is mixed race. So it's not someone who's straight down, straight down the line. But do you think that in context of what's going on in the rest of the picture, it's, I would say it's more likely to be a derogatory term, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just wondering if it is kind of looking like calling, clearly she's of, she looks of full African heritage and so does the father. So does the son as yeah, well. So does the son. But I'm not too sure why why they use sambo because there's loads of other derogatory terms. At the time, sambo was used to describe. They'd have all of these kind of um, terms for the different amounts of white blood that you had in you. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you using the word sambo? Are you trying to imply that the mother is fooling the father? with something that she went and had a child with someone else. I don't know, but mm. I'm just a bit confused by the, by the, the use of that, yeah. of that specific term, sambo. And then we can also see the watermelon yeah, growing. Yeah, they've got loads of fruit and veg and yes, they're in abundance. Yes, yeah. the coconuts in the back. And, <laughs> and then so on, on the other side, with the white working class family, there's a, a stack of tax bills. And so obviously implying here that they're far worse off than the enslaved Africans who have an image of, you know, there's a tree, there's the abundance of fruit and veg, there's dancing in the background. Their lives are much better than the white working class back at home. A lot of propaganda pieces there, eh? a lot. Kind of discussions that carry through again to current day. Yes, again, they? yes, again. Really yes. similar. Yes, yes. And I think it's just very interesting how they put the weight of decisions made by the British government on um, black and brown people. Mm. It's like the reason why the white working class was struggling because this is, I don't know why it's like this form of oppression Olympics. I don't know why it has to be comparing the two when no. the, you have these British like parliamentary fat cats. You know, I was looking, I was at um, the um, VNA the other day and I saw this statue of, from the 1700s of this man, he was very fat. Mm he's -hmm. a British man and he was pointing out and whatever. And then I was like, he's very fat. 
And but it was showing that you know the, the fat meant affluence, and yeah. the way he had his hands out was supposed to show his generosity. Oh, I see. So you know, it was like they they saw all of this wealth by all of these British parliamentarians and people who had these country houses and the lords and ladies and all these things, and still wanted to blame their their them being impoverished by enslaved people. Mm. It doesn't. It it absolutely doesn't make sense. But that's one of the one of the core parts of racism as well, when you refuse to look at the people who look like you, who are actually instilling the injustice into your community, but looking at black people as the ones who are causing your grief. Because it's easier to put, point the finger of blame at someone else, isn't it? It's like, look at the foreigners coming in, look at the, the people who don't belong here, and we're the ones still struggling. Yes. Yes. And we still see that today, even with our government. Yes, absolutely. Exactly that. <laughs> 100%. Exactly that. It's interesting to see that over many of these pieces, not much has changed. Yes, that's what that's there's, what I'm really seeing. Yeah, there's a real correlation in the stories and the and the kind of propaganda that's being put out. And fair enough, we don't really see that propaganda necessarily in this kind of imagery mm-hmm. today. But we definitely see it through yes. the newspapers. It's just another form of communicating the same story. Absolutely. All right. Okay. So because we, we had looked at these previously, we wanted to finish on this one, didn't our we? Our favourite. This is our favourite. I think this is probably my favourite from the whole... Series. Series, Me too. yeah. Me I too. think it is. And it's called The Dancers. I think we said it was a man and a woman, didn't we? Yeah. Well, it's okay. So it's done by Angostino Brunias. And we've discussed him quite a lot, actually. Yeah in this series. And he's made a lot of very beautiful paintings and, and illustrations. I even grew up having a print of his in my house in St. Lucia, not knowing. You know, we were even speaking about how the, the creation of propaganda that on his side as well, showing yeah. all of, you know, and say people dancing and, and things like that. But I think the reason why we love this piece is, well, for one, it's he used pins to create the the lines and the folds of the fabric and the man and the woman are painted in just monochromatic black Mm -hmm. and i think that really highlights the joy in their eyes and the detailing of the jewelry and the contrast of like their head ties and i think what what is the favorite part of ours on this for me i think it's the intricacy of the pinpricks to create that kind of texture and the folds and the movement in the clothing but also it's the look in their eyes Mm -hmm. especially the woman on the left yes there's a real look of flirtation of um of inner joy that i i absolutely love and especially from working in my own practice with very delicate collage works that feature women this piece really really speaks to me now in the text from the um museum for this piece it says that they are two drawing showing two women dancing their bodies have been done in watercolor and their clothing with prick work the figures are taken from Angusti- Agostino Brunei I can never pronounce it Brunei's <laughs> engraving Negroes dance in the island of Dominica from yes. 1779 I don't think it's two women though because when no. you look at his later his later finished pieces it's always like a man and woman in the center and then 
you'd have like a mixture in the back. I, it's interesting because what looks to be the man looks like he has on an earring, mm -hmm. um, which sometimes you'd see men wearing and sometimes you wouldn't. So I think it, I've, I've more seen like men in Brazil wearing. Mm. And obviously that's changed in current day society. Yes, it's her eyes, her eyes, the, the eyelashes, the, it's just the way she's looking at him like so lovingly, so flirtatiously, so joyously, joyously. And that's something that it feels way more genuine than the other dancing pieces we have seen. And even I prefer this study that he's done because this is just a study he's done to prepare for his larger, more mm. intricate painting, right? I prefer this one though. Yeah, and I do think it is possible that, because I still see two women, I think when we looked at it the first time around, I, I still see two women and mm. then, and I like the idea of this being two women. Yes. Even more so, I think that makes the work even more compelling. And maybe, you know, with those earlier pieces, sometimes you create, I know for my own practice, I make a small maquette and then I'll enlarge it to make something bigger. And through that mm -hmm. transition from the small to the large or the initial sketch to the final piece, mm -hmm. I may change the figures, you know, I might change them from being two women to, you know, or mm -hmm. wh whatever you might do. So there is part of me just like, who, who, whether it's two met women and a man and women, either way, it's a truly beautiful, very light feeling piece. Yeah. Um, the blackness of the skin, I think, is really beautiful and immediately makes me think of the work, the contemporary artist, Zanelli Maholi, mm -hmm. who um, is a South African artist and they make the most exquisite self-portrait works. Um, and if you haven't seen their work, I would really suggest you have a look at them. But there is this, I might send this image actually to them later today, mm -hmm. because I think there is a real correlation between this work and theirs. I love, I love the blackness of the skin, especially mm. because when you look at um, Brunias' work, especially when it's with dancing scenes, the central woman is always lighter skinned yeah. than the man. And that's, you know, speaking on how long running the legacy of like colorism is that the, the central woman, you know, be that she bl be black is a certain shade of blackness that yeah. she is. And to see that this is just, they're both this, one shade of this very unapologetic blackness in contrast to which would have been then maybe like the white or cream paper, I think is so powerful. And that kind of focus on their expressions is really highlighted through the use of that of that black. And I love that because a lot of the times when you'd see, you know, and say people being depicted, it's always in a very derogatory way. And if you're mm. painted with the shade of blackness, it was, it was meant to be an insult, mm -hmm. but this one just highlights the beauty yeah. even, even more. In an episode with Echo and Serena, we discussed um, the color of, of a figure in, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna explain too much about that episode, mm -hmm. but we, we talked about the choice of color used to depict a skin tone. Mm -hmm. And um, I love the fact, and it was very, it was very gray, it was very muted, it, it, didn't have any joy. It wasn't a celebratory mm -hmm. richness of color that was used. But with this piece, it feels very much unapologetically black. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I love. Even talking to my daughter, she was she was saying that she sees images of, of um, supposedly, you know, black families, and I'm doing in quotation marks. Mm -hmm. And um, they're so often not, you know, both people in that family 
won't be, you know, advertising on TV won't oh, yeah. be both dark-skinned black yeah, people. No. There will be more often than not a light-skinned um, black woman, if you're lucky, mm-hmm. and or it would usually be a white woman with a black man. Absolutely. Um, and I love just seeing these two very central figures being treated with such delicacy, with such beauty. There's a real weightlessness to the piece. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, they are they are standing on ground, but they seem to be floating. They feel light. They feel lifted. You know why? Because there's there's nothing else but the two of them. Yeah. There's no nothing else. there's no windmill in the back. There's no people who in um, sugarcane. There's mm. no nothing. It's just this moment of joy, nothing else. And their jewelry is highlighted, isn't it? The yes, necklace, the yes. earring and the bracelet. Yes. Those are the three main accessories that they have. Those are the only accessories it seems they need, along with their head wraps, of course. Yep, yep. Um, I love this piece. I think everyone knows we love this yes, piece. Yes, I know, we can speak about <laughs> it. I could stare at it all day. Yeah, and going back to that conversation around self-care, I think last time when we recorded this, we actually came back to this to round it off, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did, because we had didn't, this wasn't the last no, one. No, it wasn't. And we were like, oh, we don't feel good. Mm-hmm. And we came back to this. And, and in this recording, we specifically chose to finish on this piece. Yes. Because this is the way we are taking care of ourselves and also taking care of the people listening to, to our episode. Exactly. Because that's a, a duty of care that we have to abide by. Thank you so much, Fiona. Thank you, Sharon. Thank Feels you for really, really me. lovely to round off this series. With right, this with this oh. piece. Yes, it's the best way. It's the best way. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Um, I've loved this conversation with Fiona. Thank you for your support. Please like and share. <laughs> <laughs>